Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to This Is Life Unfiltered. This is my weekly podcast on entrepreneurship, getting out of your comfort zone, and being fearless. So this is my first recording of 2020, so thank you all for staying involved with this podcast. We hit episode 100 a few weeks ago. Things have been very busy with the summit and being back in LA after the holidays. So I know last week I spoke about really kind of figuring out how to motivate yourself, especially during times like the holidays days in early January when things can be really slow. But since it's 2020 and it's all about feeling your best self, I'm really excited today because I have the founder of Grayson and Frank and Eileen here to chat with me about her incredible journey. And first of all, if you guys follow me on social media, if you don't, make sure that you go to Instagram and type in my name, which is Alexa underscore Curtis. I posted a few videos actually over the past maybe four or five months um, with Grayson. And when I initially came to the showroom, I wasn't expecting it to be as fabulous as it is. It is basically a company that is focused on creating amazing workwear style shirts for women. And I loved the concept of it. Um, so I've got the founder here. Her name is Audrey. And Audrey, thank you for being here today. Alexa, thank you so much. And I'm so flattered that I get to be your first guest of 2020. Uh, it's such an exciting year. So that makes me really excited. And I've been in 2019. I was so excited to talk to you. So thank you for having me be your first guest oh this year. Oh my gosh. Well, you started two amazing brands. So take us back to the beginning. I know your parents are from Ireland, but you were born in the US. How did this all kind of come to fruition? Um, I mean, the story could, could be so long and I was unplanned, but um, yeah, my whole family is from Ireland, um, the most magical place on earth. And uh, my parents, I come from a big Irish family and my parents were the only ones that left. Um, so I was actually born, I say, on the way over. So they wanted to come to the U.S., but they needed to stop in Canada. So I was born in Toronto. And then um, when I was in third grade, I got to become a U.S. citizen with um, a lifelong embarrassing picture of my bangs, like, way up in the air. And, like, don't touch my hair. It's perfect. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so not until then. And at what point did you decide to start this company? Because you went to college and you mm -hmm. actually were thinking about studying or doing something else as a career, correct? Yeah. I mean, when I was young, so my parents were immigrants. And, you know, I think just this idea of, you know, think like before email and before text and before the internet, like we're going to set out and go to the United States and believe that we're going to make a better life for our future family. So um, my, you know, growing up, my parents are like, we came to the U.S. and you, you know, so that you can be anything you want. You can do anything with your life. You can be anything as long as you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. It's like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> um, so I think I went in phases when I was young. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, you know, when I was really little, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And then I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then ultimately I went to engineering school. Um, and it was actually really tough for me at that age because I don't know what 18-year-old knows what they want to do with their life, you know? So I felt like this very it was a very heavy decision to think about, like, what am I going to do and who do I want to be? And um, so I think I really struggled with that for a long time. But um, my parents had always told me, like, if you get an engineering degree, that's just a very good foundation and a really good education. And then you can do anything you want. So I just believed that. And, that, you know, that's why I chose to study engineering. Nowadays, it's a little different because a lot of young people, myself included, are deciding not to go to college and everything's on social media. That's not why I decided to not go to college. But I mean, what is your thoughts on that? How much of college played a role in where you are today? I think it probably played a surprisingly large role. I think I hear all the time, um, you know, 
it's unexpected that I went to engineering school and ended up in the fashion business. Um, and so I hear all the time that I think very differently than most people in the fashion business. And so I think ultimately the engineering training is like training your mind to think a certain way and how to solve problems. And, you know, now that I'm so much older, realize that in some way, I think an engineering background is probably the greatest thing to prepare you for entrepreneurship because it's just problem solving every day. Like your your brain is designed to think about how to solve problems. So it's really served me well. But you Thank would have you, to, you probably have to be good at math though, right? Which I'm bad at to go for that. Maybe it helps. I always liked math growing up. And so I think it helped to be like, yeah, I really like math a lot. Like I kind of liked math and science, but I mostly liked math. Um, and so, uh, you know, so that was like, oh, it's all probably like engineering school. But <laughs> And how did you decide on Georgia Tech? I always like to ask founders about how they decided on colleges. Again, like I said, so many young people nowadays are like, should I go? Should I not go? But mm-hmm. everyone I talk to always says go, which I think also. Right. Uh, that was a very easy decision for me because we lived in Atlanta and we had no means to pay for school. So um, Georgia Tech was the only school I applied to. I think I was very fortunate that we happened to have a, a very good engineering school in Atlanta. So it's the only school I applied to. I applied early acceptance. I got accepted early. And so, you know, halfway through my senior year, I already knew what I was where I was going. Um, yeah, so that helped. And I got a, a, I don't know if they still have it, but they had a thing called the Hope Scholarship. So I got a scholarship to go there. Okay. So you go to Georgia Tech for four years, you study engineering, you leave, and then what? Um, so at the time it was like the first dot-com boom. So this was in 1999. I'm aging myself. I think I was two. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, but you look so good. Um, yeah, so I graduated in 1999. So that was the, the first, um, you know, dot com boom. And so at the time I graduated and moved to Boston and worked for um, an MIT startup. And so that was very interesting to get to go to Boston and just be around like the most brilliant people ever, like almost everyone at the company was from MIT or Harvard. Um, so that was that was interesting. And, you know, it's that age where I thought because I'd studied hard my whole life and made such good grades and then went to a great school that was inc- relentlessly hard um, to get through Georgia Tech that I thought um, I had value out in the world. And I thought I was so smart. And I knew, you know, and then you realize now I knew nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. So it's just sort of I had the tools to be prepared for the world, but I didn't even know what I didn't know yet. So that was an interesting. Had thing. you planned to leave, um, you know, college and, and get an engineering job like initially? I think, like I said, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, it was a very hard time for quite a few years because you know, up till then, I think everything had been laid out. Like you go to elementary school and then you go to middle school and, you know, you always know what you're working towards. Like study really hard so you can get into a good college and then study really hard in college so you can get a good job. And it's like, but then what? You know, Mm -hmm. I think your early 20s is, um, and even, you know, in college, 18 to 20, like, what am I going to study? And then you finally pick that. But I think your early 20s is a, um, is maybe a time that not enough people talk about like how how profound it is and the decisions you're making and like you don't you don't know enough yet about yourself and about all the different careers you could have and where these paths could lead you so for me I'm in my head a lot so it was that was a um yeah it was a hard time to figure out like where is this all going to lead to and what am I doing and am I investing the right things and um, so I didn't really know. So it's just like one thing leads to the next and the just, you know, the dot-com boom was a hot time and everything was going. I lived on the East coast. So it was a big thing in Boston. And so I just 
had an opportunity to be able to go there and get trained on in programming and work with brilliant people. So I took that, that opportunity. So cool. Well, you're a mom now mm-hmm. and a founder. So you mentioned, you know, specifically in schools, is there something that you wish you had been taught more in college that they're not teaching? You mentioned you leave and then it's like, but then what? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I like, I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, so I don't know what they're teaching in school now, but yeah, I think, At every level of school, I think going back to high school or maybe even middle school would be great. I would love to have had more exposure to um, what people do for a living that don't have, uh, you know, aren't a doctor or a lawyer, an engineer. Like, what kind of paths are you on? And, um, you know, my parents both had traditional careers. Like, well, my dad was an engineer. And then my mom, by um, education, was an RN. But she was a stay-at-home mom my whole life, which is really great to have an RN as a stay-at-home mom. Um, But so I think I would have, it would have been amazing to be more exposed to that. And when I was in high school, I got obsessive about um, interviewing any parents that would be willing to give me an hour of their time and ask them, like, especially if they were businessmen or something like, well, how did you get there? And where'd you go to school? And what'd you study? And what was your first job? And it was very eye-opening because that's the first time I realized that people's paths were not linear at all, that you could go to school for one thing and then you end up with a job that you have, like, how in the world did you get there? So that opened my eyes to, like, the path can be very, um, you know, like up and down and all over the place and one thing leads you to the next so that was exciting to know even when you're successful it always goes in so many different ways and shapes and forms yeah. there's no necessary guide to success um so you're in boston working mm-hmm. at this thing with mit and then and then what and then the dot-com boom ended so um you know i say at the time it was good times had by all but um but that came to an end and so i think i was i was very fortunate at the time the company i was working for actually let me move to california i wanted to move to california and learn in my mind i really wanted to learn manufacturing and um it probably sounds wild at the time but it came my inspiration came when i was 16 years old one of my first jobs was working at the gap which back then was Love the so much yeah. cooler than you know so it was just really eye-opening to learn about textiles and fit and how to dress people and you know and and like what that does for a person and I just was very it was interesting it was weird because I was a nerd but I was really good at it and um and I always thought okay well if I went to engineering school and then went to law school and then could I I had all these fantasies of could I go work for like gap corporate or something so I didn't know what I was gonna do but um you know so five years later six years later and the you know I finished engineering school and then um, I just think if this is going to end, I really want to move to California and somehow learn about manufacturing and retail and product. Um, so the company I was working for let me work remotely because it was a dot com. And so I was really lucky and I just packed up all my stuff and um, found an apartment and a car on Craigslist, which was kind of crazy back in 1999, <laughs> 2000. Um, and yeah, I moved out here and I've been here ever since. But you said your parents were really adamant about you being an engineer mm-hmm. or something in that. So then mm-hmm. you obviously had this intuition you wanted to work in fashion. Did you approach them and say, can I do this? Did you just decide you didn't want to follow in what they suggested you do? No, that's a really good question. It's interesting because, you know, I remember my my parents were so like traditional and conservative and it's like, you know, you have to follow this path. And I remember my mom just always saying like, pet, if you just do engineering, then you can do anything. And going through Georgia Tech for anybody who who went to Georgia Tech, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's really hard. So, and four years felt like forever for me at the time. Four years now goes by in like a flash, but at that age, it 
felt like forever. Um, but I remember I must have, I finished, I moved to Boston and I just feel like my, I remember my mom calling and being like, okay, pet. So now what are you going to do? And I realized she meant, well, like now you checked that off. Like now you've got that foundation in education, mm -hmm. but you don't have to do engineering. Like now what are you going to ah, do okay. with, with all the knowledge you have? And like, what kind of life are you going to build? And I was like, oh, she really did mean it. You know, that I don't actually have to stay necessarily on that traditional track, but that that was a really good idea for my education. And then I think my dad was much more traditional in that. Like for so many years, I, th I feel like I was playing this business for five or seven years when I got an email I was like are you still doing that fashion thing I think it was really embarrassing to him that you know I think like I was like his firstborn son right and like yeah. um <laughs> went you know did the stuff that like became an engineer like him and then I think it was like embarrassing like oh that daughter that you were proud of that went change she's in fashion like that didn't that didn't uh, sit well but well looking back say you had told your or your mom had called you and instead of being like okay what are you going to do now she was like so much tougher on you about having to work in engineering even if your heart wasn't in it what would you have done would you have gone and pursued that um i mean that's a good question i think it's hard to say um because so many like anything i think there's there's like a hundred factors that go into timing and how things play out. So a lot had to do with what was going on in the world and the environment at the time, you know, like, um, you know, e-commerce was just starting and it was new. So there was so much. And so tech and engineering were changing for mm -hmm. the first time ever. So that also plays into it. Um, and then, you know, so much of it depends on your own personality. Like I'm pretty fiercely independent. So um, you know, I left, I left home when I was 17 and never lived at home again. And just like my personality is very independent. So I think ultimately I obviously value my mom's opinion a lot, but would have done whatever, you know, put the, connect the dots together of what opportunities were presenting themselves yeah. to me. So maybe that would have been a more traditional job or, but I had a lot of traditional like internships when I was at Georgia Tech, okay. like very engineering internships. So that helped expose yeah. me to that world. But. You remind me so much of myself because I moved out at 17 too and was fiercely independent um which is kind of difficult to be at that age a lot of young people you know under 18 if not up until 30 are struggling with oh the struggle was real yeah. i mean I, the struggle was real i was super poor and you know but it was so to me i think it was so fun to be independent and like you know like i didn't mind i obviously dramatically downgraded my lifestyle yeah. from living with my parents um, but I don't know. It was funny. I mean, there's well, no insulation. Yeah. There's like mice in your pan at <laughs> breakfast every morning. You know, it was chaos, yeah. but, um, it's kind of part of the cool. story though. Yeah, so exactly. If, if there's a young person right now who's listening and is struggling with, uh, their parents are very hard on them, whether it's grades or college, what advice would you have for them in kind of standing up to their parents if they want to do something that their parents weren't expecting? Um, I think for me personally, so having been in that and then now being a parent, I think for me, it depends on how old you are and if you're independent or dependent on your parents. I think the traditional part of me is like, if you're dependent on your parents financially, say, yeah. if you're financially dependent on your parents, whether that means you're living with them or they're paying for school, then I think you need to have a lot of respect for what they want you to do or how they're steering you. And if you want to be able to make 100% of your own decisions, then you need to be 100% financially independent. And that might not look that cute, but if you're living on your own and paying your 
your own way, then do whatever you want, right? Make all your own decisions and you can own your mistakes and own your successes. And I think that has stuck with me my whole life. It's one of the reasons that I love owning 100% of my company, right? And we call it like my own little 100 club. It's very different from having investors, whether it's VC or private equity or friends and family. Like when you own 100%, you know, it's going to be a lot harder, but you get to, you have a you have ownership of your decision. So the, the, the bad ones are mine and I own it and learn from them. The good ones, you get to really own your yeah. success. So I think it's the same thing that would apply when you're, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Like if you really want to be able to make those decisions yourself, then if you're financially independent, you can do that. Okay. So 10 years ago, you moved to LA and that's where you started Frank and I. I think it's been 18 years now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I was, um, probably 24 maybe when I moved to LA. And you have zero dollars. So what do you do? How did you, <laughs> number one, come up with the name Frank and Eileen? Oh, yeah. So there was time in between. So when I moved here originally, I mean, I had money from working and had saved up and um, so I was able to move here and then I got a job and then um, learned. I was able to, I met someone in the post office back when we used to have to go to the post office. Um, and I just got really lucky and got connected to someone in the fashion business. And so I worked for a designer. Um, of course I thought I knew so much more than I did. And so I like pitched myself as like, well, I can run the whole company. Like she was a very talented designer. And, um, a lot of people who are super creative and good designers struggle with running the business and operations side. I was like, I can do that. I have no idea why I believed that. Um, <laughs> they could tell you make yeah, it totally. And so she hired me to do that. So I learned a lot. That was like, that was like graduate school in the, in the like fashion industry and how the, you know, back then how the trade show works and how the specialty store works and the departments and manufacturing and, and cash flow and everything. I learned a lot. That was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, so it was a long journey in between. I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So Frank and Eileen was my third company that I started, but I started it in the, in the, I guess at the, at the very beginning of the recession. So I had no idea it was happening, but I was, maybe all of 2008, I was developing Frank and Eileen. So from the product to the brand, um, in the, on the floor of my manufacturing space. And, um, and I launched it at New York fashion week in September, 2008. So that very week is when the entire bottom fell out of the market. Mm. Um, it's like one of those places, like you always remember where you were when that happened. Um, and so Frank and Eileen hit stores for the first, so I launched it with the, with the, you know, uh, market that week, but it launched in stores in spring 2009. So I launched the brand in like the worst US economy in the, you know, yeah. in our history. So that was really interesting and challenging times. So I had negative money at that point, like way less money than when I had been younger because um, I own multiple businesses and it, you know, the, the crisis just like wiped most yeah. people out at the time. So um, yeah, so really when I started Frank and Eileen, I had like negative pennies. So um, so how did you do it then? You said you had money saved up. Did you have like any angel investors and how did you get into that first store? Um, by the time, well, so when I started my first business, I had money saved up from working. Like I'd been very conservative and always lived below my means. And so I had some money. I was very young. So some is still very little. <laughs> um, but I ended up, I went, I was, my first business was a brick and mortar specialty okay. store. So like a multi-brand store. Which you started um, when you were how old? 25. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, so I, so I learned things the hard way. I think the older you are, when you become an entrepreneur, the higher your success rate. So, yeah. you know, the younger you are, the more times you're going to fail before you have. Did that store success. fail? 
I had, I had some really early success, um, which was exciting. So at the time you're asking about financing, I got an SBA loan. So with any loan, basically you have to have money to borrow money. Mm-hmm. That's how banks work really. So, um, luckily I had money saved, you know, a little bit of money saved up. So I used that as like my down payment on my loan and I opened the store and I did have some really early success. It was, um, but I think it also probably gave me a false sense of confidence because like, oh, wow, if I just work relentlessly hard, I'll be successful. Um, and so then I opened a second and a third and a fourth store and I also launched a wholesale brand. And then and then I was starting Frank and Aileen and the entire economy failed. Right. So I had I was young enough to not realize that could happen. Like I never took into account that something so far outside of my control could just destroy everything you're doing. Um, so ultimately when I was starting Frank and Eileen, I just sort of bootstrapped what I had, but I, you know, people ask me about financing all the time and, and the world is pretty different now than it was 10 years ago, but some of these, some things still tan- stand the test of time. But, um, I used, I always credit my factor. So in many businesses, but including the apparel business, you can have a financing partner called a factor and they basically buy a receivable. So if I sell to Fred Siegel or Ron Herman or Nordstrom, then they will basically buy your receivables and loan you money against them. So that really helps you finance production um, and cash flow. And then the other really big thing I did when I um, started Frank and Eileen was I negotiated with my vendors for net 90, um, which meant I could get the product in, manufacture it, ship it, and get paid before I had to pay them. So that was a very big secret. Basically, I didn't need money, right? So I had between my between my um, manufacturing partners and the factor, they were all giving me the, either the length of time to pay and or borrowing against, and, and that's how I was able to build a business for the first three years. A few seconds ago, you mentioned that you thought if you just worked insanely hard that you would be successful. Is that not true? I mean, it's only part of it, right? I mean, that's what's hard. There's so much timing is a lot. And, you know, do you have the right product at the right time at the right price? And um, I think there's no substitute for blood, sweat and tears, but alone, it's not enough. Sure. So you start Frank and Eileen and then the market tanks. So then how did you bring it back up to success? Well, it tanked as I was launching. So Frank and Eileen didn't really exist or have any, you know, Um, but we launched in stores and I launched really small. Like when I launched Frank and Eileen, I went to, um, Ron Herman, who's like the godfather of the contemporary business. So you weren't starting at the bottom. Um, no, I mean, that's what I had. This is already my third business. So, you know, I have a thing that I always say, like, you've got to plant seeds, right? So everything in life is going to be about your network and the people you know, and the things that you learn along the way. And I always say you have to plant the seeds because you need to get them into the dirt because it can take up to three years of watering them before they bear any fruit, right? So like with my Ron Herman relationship, that was a good example of that. Like I'd worked for three years to develop a relationship with him. Um, And so then when I was launching Frank and Eileen, it was a matter of just asking him, like, Mm. will you launch this brand for me? And so he did it, Ron Herman, Fred Siegel on Melrose. Um, So that was really obviously important. And then I get to use that, having a presentation there. And then you can go to the other stores and say, oh, we're having a lot of success over at Ron Herman, Fred Siegel, and Melrose, where you go see it there, and then other people will pick up your 
brand. As an entrepreneur, it can be very scary when you're first bringing something. I know this was a few businesses in for you, but when you're bringing something to any market, because it could have, no one could have been interested or bought it. So were you nervous at the beginning? Like even if, you know, he takes it on and it's in all these stores that it still could fail? At the beginning, no. There's a little bit of like blind ambition, both in entrepreneurship, but when you're young and then ignorance is bliss, right? Like what you don't know, just like go, right? And I would say like, be like Nike, just do it. So at the beginning, no, but I remember after, like, I remember when, as soon as I, as soon as Frank and Eileen was in stores, like people really resonated with the product and with the brand and they loved telling the story. And I was like, Ooh, I really have something here, but I can remember, I feel like maybe six months after it was in stores and then 12 and then 18, I would start panicking. Like, what if people stop liking it? Like this is fashion, right? So, I mean, we launched with one shirt and we only had one shirt for five years so I think I was terrified that people would get sick of it like yeah but if you if you bought three or five or eight like now you're going to move on to something else because fashion can be very fickle um but 10 years later almost 11 years later now we still have the same you know we have the same shirt now we have four iconic silhouettes but why just one shirt did you want to launch with um, because like, what if you had done four and it was like the fourth one that ended up everyone? I don't bought think I, I. I don't think I would have been nearly as successful if I had launched with four. I think, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make as they spread themselves too thin. They oversort. They try to be everything to everyone. Like, I think if you can be known for doing one thing very, very well, it it honestly helps cut through the noise. And so if you do one thing better than anybody else, then you'll build that reputation. And then they'll say, okay, f- after a long time, like, well, okay, what else, what they'll trust you? Like, what else can you do? Because now I know what you do here, where if you do too many things, like can't necessarily have ownership over them. Sure. You know? You've got clients like Oprah, Ellen, Reese Witherspoon, who love this, this brand. How do you describe Frank and Eileen to those who have never heard of it before? So Frank and Eileen started actually by accident, right? So I had other businesses at the time, but I was working on um, like a cashmere program and I was in a factory and someone left me in the room for way too long, which is a common theme. And that's where I like come up with some really good ideas, but I'm just sitting in this room for a long time looking around and I started wandering and pulling books off the bookshelf. And there was this old dusty book of the most magical menswear Italian fabrics I'd ever seen. And I just lost my mind and I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to take the book and leave. And so um, when the gentleman came back in, I basically had lost interest in what I was doing. I got very distracted and was like, can I borrow this book? And he's like, oh, it's it's really old. It's irrelevant. And that's great. So you don't mind if I borrow this yeah. book and bring it back? And he didn't even know what I was talking about. Like, whatever, you can borrow the book. And so I went home and called Italy and I have no idea why, but they sent someone to come and meet with me in my factory with clouds on the sky. Um, and And so we decided to, you know, like come up, you know, partner together. And we've been partners now for 11 years, but, um, I, I don't think, um, I don't think I had, I don't have any idea like what it was going to lead to, but when I found these fabrics, I just, I think the main question I asked, like, well, why, I don't understand why these are used for men's shirts. Why don't women have these Mm -hmm. fabrics? Right. So I just kind of set out to like reinvent the women's button up shirt through the lens of using these beautiful yeah. menswear Italian fabrics. And it had never been done before. And honestly, has really never been done since. So we kind of own that space. And um, 
you know, in, you know, in our space in the contemporary business, everyone knows that Frank and Aileen is like who you go to mm-hmm. for the best button up shirts. That is so cool. I want to get into how you launched Grayson, but I want to go back a second to, you really are a, a serial entrepreneur, similar to many of, um, you know, the biggest founders out there. But, um, you know, as a, for young entrepreneurs who are aspiring to be the next to you, do you think that you are either born an entrepreneur or not? Like, do you think that there are certain traits that entrepreneurs only have that other people don't have and if you don't have those traits you can't be a successful entrepreneur um I don't think so but it's a good nature versus nurture question but I think there are certain traits that um that maybe fuel entrepreneurs or make good ones like you're you're very hungry in a lot of ways you're very hungry for knowledge like you're a perpetual learner um and you you know you're very much driven like very goal driven, like every you set out with all these goals. And the second you accomplish them, you're like, what's next? What's next? Like you have this ferocious appetite for both learning and doing and accomplishing. Um, have a feeling you might need that plus a whole lot of grit and resilience yeah. to, uh, you know, so I think what you know, and it is so different, like the world is so different now. But, you know, people ask me that a lot. And I think you have to really decide what you want right and sometimes i think people think they want to be an entrepreneur but like are you sure that's what you want like you kind of have to ask yourself some questions and that's interesting because i say that a lot i don't know why there's this new obsession with every young person wants to be an entrepreneur they don't know what they're in for right and i think as an entrepreneur (laughs) if you think you want to be an entrepreneur i don't know any entrepreneur i've spoken to that was like i woke up when i was seven and decided i wanted to be an entrepreneur right it's it's not really like that it's like you see that it's hard especially now with social media right that didn't exist when I was starting yeah. all these companies originally. And it's like, it's very easy on social media to like, you see the glory, but you don't know the story. Yeah. And, um, and like I said, we didn't have social media before. So from a younger age, my obsession was reading entrepreneur biographies. So I would read all these books written by entrepreneurs and, and it was, it was really helpful to me because everyone would seem so successful, right? So everything looks so glamorous and you'd think, wow, what do they have that I don't have? And how did they get there? And what I really learned, like reading all these books is there's so much of it that they're all their stories are the same mm-hmm. of like blood, sweat and tears and setbacks and and just like it being extremely hard. Right. And so it's like, oh, it's not this glamorous or they didn't just wake up one day and like have the right connections or know what to do or, you know, so it, that really helped me a lot to see that it's really just like if you have the perseverance and the burn in your belly, you just put your head down and keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. Um, you know, that you will eventually be successful. What entrepreneurs have inspired you or, or do now? Oh, so many. I mean, my favorite book that I can't tell enough people to read lately is it's called Shoe Dog. And it's written by Phil Knight, who's the founder of Nike. Um, And it's, you know, obviously, he's a legend. I think it's a really good example of someone who Nike's so big that I think people just like, I don't know, assume it just like grew out of the ground one day, like or like Nike's always been big. And to read his book, and I think it starts back in like the 50s. Um, is super fascinating and every single chapter is a year and just to go through his story it starts like actually it's a really good book for your audience because it starts when he's in college and it goes every single year and trying to find himself and what does he want to do and he doesn't know either you know and so it's just amazing to go through this journey with him and he ends up you know building Nike it's outrageous Um, it's it's such a good book 
I love that you mentioned that because now that's what I like to tell people is they should be looking up to the kind of the older generation of entrepreneurs because now it's like everyone wants to be an influencer and, right. and they're that's not an actual company. You know, there's a difference between building a brand and then totally. And I think again, it goes back to it's this hard thing. You have to ask yourself some questions mm-hmm. first, like. Do you want to be an entrepreneur and what does that really mean? Do you want to build a brand? Yeah. Do you want to build product? Do you want to build a brand for yourself? Do you want to build a brand? Like there's so many different things. And so you kind of have to separate them out and really ask what it is that you want. Um, I can't believe it's escaping me, but one of the best business books I ever read said something like, you know, if you want to be a baker, like if that's your passion, you love baking and creating, like do not open a bakery. Right. Mm. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, then open a business. But if you want to be a baker or a fashion designer, you know, don't op- don't start a company. Why? Because it's, it's a totally because it's a totally different skill set, mm-hmm. right? If you want to be, if you're a brilliant designer, then you should go work for a designer. Uh, yeah. Go be a designer and do what you do best. But if that's what you're really really good at, designing is such a tiny mm-hmm. tiny part of the overall business. You have to be able to run operations and supply chain and production and finance and accounting and legal and HR and, you know, brand building and marketing. And I mean, it's so much. Yeah. So if, if you're, you know, Matt, like you think, you know, so it's really hard, but at a small scale, it seems like, oh yeah, this is what I love. So I'll start my own company. Um, and it can get overwhelming really fast. But if you're like, you know what, I want to, I want to build a brand. I want to be, I want to be a business owner. I love operations. I love numbers. I love money. I love building things. Then, and I love getting punched in the face every (laughs) single day. Then you're really suited to be an entrepreneur. Well, we're sitting right now in one of two offices in this beautiful, beautiful building. So you've come a long way since your (laughs) 17 year old broke self. Um, But how did the idea for Grayson, how did that start after Frank and Eileen? Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty organic and it was growing for a really long time. But um, it was really interesting. You know, I grew Frank and Eileen like very slowly over a really long, many, 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 many years, very organically. And, you know, when we launched back in 2009, I mean, there was no Instagram, there was no social media, there was just like, it was completely different. And so it was a much more traditional business. So watching the entire world and landscape and retail completely change at the same time, like the world was changing in a profound way, like women were changing and all of a sudden, both the women that are all working for me and helping me grow the brand and the women that I'm looking at around the world are completely changing the rules. Mm-hmm. And your generation, not to mention my daughter's generation, are going to grow up by a completely different set of rules and expectations. And that's super exciting and really exciting to be in that time. And so it just started growing where I really started having this um, kind of overwhelming drive to start a new brand that spoke to her and spoke to the time that we're in. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take everything I've ever learned for the last 10 years of making the perfect button up shirt and everything I know about, you know, manufacturing and supply chain and textiles and, and, and wholesale. And I'm going to apply that to what would a brand new modern business look like if it launched today in 2019? Um, so I use that, all of that to launch Grayson. And so, you know, there's some parallels. Like I, I spent at least a year, if not two years, really studying the, the female form and like what's relevant today and used 30 different real real women, not fit models, but real women and developed one ridiculously perfect silhouette mm-hmm. for today's woman. Um, so we launched with with a, that perfect button up shirt. And but it's much more, um, you know, community driven and much more mission driven. And it's all about this idea of 
um, you're letting women realize that they're superheroes and like asking every woman, like, we'll do these amazing activations and say, like, what's your superpower? Mm-hmm. And it's it's so interesting to watch because we've done like Women's Entrepreneurship Day and all these different things. And people normally have like a name yeah. tag and it's so awkward. I'm socially awkward. So you're like, oh, what's your name? What do you do? But if you go to the event and you're wearing this beautiful pink and, and red sticker that says my superpower is and it has it, it it creates this amazing engagement and conversation. And either women are like, oh, I know exactly what my superpower is. Or they turn to another woman next to them and say, what do you think my superpower yeah. is? And it's that in and of itself is so empowering. Like, so that's been really exciting. And so it's kind of a different, you know, a different voice and a different way to grow a brand than how I grew grew Frank and Eileen from the beginning. Why shirts? Like, I probably should ask you this at the beginning, <laughs> but I mean, you now are like, I mean, it's like, you know, if Ellen is the talk show, like you are the person for shirt. So is there I'm something to maiden. you about when you look at a woman that like signifies yeah. power? I think and- some of it comes from me. So for me, the button up shirt is my armor. So, you know, now we're all talking about it, but for decades, no one talked about honestly how hard it is to be a woman, right? So like a woman living in a man's world and just like, you know, I mean, I went through engineering school, it's all men and you're, you know, surprisingly, the fashion industry is actually mostly men. Um, And just like, you know, being taken seriously, like when you're a young girl, actually, it's, it's actually so much easier when you get older. Mm -hmm. But when you're younger, it's hard to be taken seriously, right? If you're if you're young and beautiful, which is what people want you to be, but then you're trying to be a serious businesswoman, an entrepreneur, and it's it's hard for people to separate or you know take you seriously. So I think for me, the button-up shirt was my armor for so many things. Like it made me feel strong, and it made me feel like I could be taken more seriously. And it it's also super easy because you can throw it on yeah, every single that. day in your dress, right? I mean, we live in California, so it's not like I'm going to go and walk around in a suit every day. But a t-shirt just doesn't seem to cut it when you're trying to build an empire. Sure. So I think like you know you can wear a button-up shirt and you can go anywhere. Um, A few weeks ago, I got a message that said what I would suggest someone wearing for their first job interview. So, Audrey, what would you wear for your first out-of-college job interview? (laughs) Button up. Um, Obviously, it totally depends on the industry that you're interviewing for. Um, But I think it's really important to understand who you're interviewing with. Like, what's the company? What's their ethos? Like, what what are they trying to do? And you want to, you know, embody that, right? So, if you're interviewing with Frank and Eileen or Grayson, then obviously you ideally want to come to the interview in a button-up, most certainly, but ideally in either Grayson or Frank and Eileen button-up and make it yours. Like, really show that you understand um, what world you're trying to embody and what you're trying to do. And, you know, if you're interviewing to become an investment banker, then you should probably have a really nice suit on. And- <laughs> probably. Or, or Grayson, if we ever go in. If you yeah, ever go you into that. you can your Grayson or Frank and Eileen underneath uh, your suit, but... So do you ever see the company going into like jeans or bags, shoes, like? Um, I mean, Grayson's so new, right? I mean, we've been live, launched less than a year ago and it's been super exciting. Um, And, you know, on that side, it's hard. Like we do one thing better than everyone else and that's the button up shirt. So there are people that do denim better than anyone else. And there's people that do shoes better than anything else. And so I think what we, what we'd rather do in our first years is partner with other female founders that do things better than anyone else. Like, um, uh, like almost every day I wear these, um, amazing Oxfords by Angela Scott. And so it's like, we would rather collaborate and do really cool stuff. Like she's going to be better at making gorgeous Italian Oxfords. So I'd rather do something yeah. like that and then introduce her audience to our audience and really talk about what it means to be this modern woman and, 
you know, so I, I think I'd rather do it that way mm-hmm. than than spread myself too thin. So is that what you would suggest for other entrepreneurs who maybe have a bunch of different ideas and they, you know, want to execute all of them is to figure out which one out of all of them you do best or try all of them and see whichever one sticks? I mean, if they somehow have unlimited finance and bandwidth, yeah, yeah but I think in general, just pick one thing, like focus is everything. And um, you know, I think I use the word like scalability a lot, right? The problem that I think is that, or, you know, here's a good analogy. You go to a restaurant hungry, right? But it's a really, or the grocery store, it's a really big problem because your eyes are bigger than your stomach. So you go to this restaurant hungry and you order like 10 things off the menu, but you can only really eat one. So I think it's the idea, like you need to focus, like just order one amazing dish and eat it. Don't order like four or five and waste them. Um, I think in business, like when you're starting out, you have so much energy and you're so excited, it's very easy to come up with ideas or product or prototypes or something. That's really easy. But to figure out how you're going to perfect the production, how you're going to have the right margins, how you're going to sell this product, how you're going to market this product, how you're going to build your team, the more focused you are, the more reasonable it is that you're going to like get it off the ground and sustain it. So you can you can kind of do anything short term, but can you do it over and over and over and over and scale it? That's when doing too much up front starts getting really mm-hmm. messy. How did you figure it out? I mean, along the way, like production and a team and creating a product like this, did you have anyone that kind of mentored you? Want it, like, because I don't even, it's so different from what I do. Like, if I saw and wanted to make a pair of jeans, I don't even know where you would go or what you look at. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just learned by trial and error. And I, I never, it's interesting, I think about it now at this age. Like, I've had my head down for so long and I never had like a formal mentor. Um, but I would, I think I would turn people into micro mentors that didn't even know that they were doing that for me, um, and just learn everything I could from them. But you have to do some weird things to make that happen, right? Like, or I don't, I don't come from a time where you could just go to someone incredible and be like, could you be my mentor? I mean, they're really busy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would just create it. Like when I was starting my first, um, wholesale brand, which was one before Frank and Eileen, you know, I asked around anybody that I knew, like, do you know who does good manufacturing? And I tried like three or four factories, some in LA, some all over the country and um, just really wasn't happy with the quality. And then I remember there was just literally a girl that lived like a few doors down from me in Venice. And I saw her carrying these huge garbage bags full of clothes. And I asked her like, where do you get your production done? And she recommended this factory to me. And so I went and met with them and they basically wouldn't give me the time of day and they were like oh that's lovely but we're not interested and i was like listen you tell me the terms and i'll see you on monday and so they gave me these outrageous payment terms and minimum terms and we started working together and 14 years later we've been partners ever since um but at the beginning you know, I was like the small fish in the big pond. And like you said, I didn't know anything. I mean, literally, I didn't know anything. And so I ultimately asked them if I could rent space inside the factory. And so I paid rent to have a little room inside the factory. And I like more or less lived there for five years. Like I would sleep there probably four nights a week. Um, I brought a couch in. I brought my dog there. I mean, I just like lived there because they'd be so busy all day. And then when it got quiet in the evening around 6, 37, then I got their undivided attention. And that's when I would do all of my learning and development. I'd list of questions and it was just quiet and I could, you know, ask them a bunch of questions and learn. And so I just kind of, you know, learned as I went. 
Let me ask you about rejection at the beginning of your first company, even up until now, how much rejection did you face and how did you find the strength to overcome it? Because you really are the first company that's made such a heavy emphasis on on dress shirts mm-hmm. um, in, in general. Um, yeah, I think on some level I didn't really notice. So I kind of, I don't, I think one of my things, I don't really take no for an answer, but hopefully people don't think in an obnoxious way. When someone says no, I don't really hear no. I want ask like, what, but why? Like, no, why? Because really, usually there's a reason or a problem. And now you need to address that so you can turn the no into a yes. So you know, whether I think when the manufacturer was blowing me off and saying, no, I think that's because they didn't take me seriously enough. And so you got to make them realize, like, I'm really serious, you know, and it's it's this big joke between us now because we've been working together for 14 years. So now, you know, now they really realize I was serious. Um, but when you're, you know, if you're selling to wholesale, you know, whether you're selling to, you know, Barney's, RIP, um, or, you know, Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus or Fred Siegel, like you're going to hear no a lot. But a lot of the time, if you just ask why, they'll tell you why. So either they have a conflict with another vendor or the price point's too high, or they don't have, they'll have all these reasons. And so you can either use those to address their reasons and change their mind, or you can incorporate that into your collection or, you know, small tweaks and you just keep coming back and asking until the answer is yes. Audrey, you are such, you are such a powerhouse in 10 years from now. I mean, you're already at the top. So where would you like to see yourself on a business or a personal um, kind of level? Thank you. You're too kind. And some ways I think I'm only getting started. You know, I think finally, um, anyone that knows me well is like, I've just had my head down for 10 years and only towards the la- the end of last year do I feel like I kind of lifted my head up to look around and, um, start talking to people and meeting people. And so I think, um, and 2020 feels like bizarrely exciting to me. So I, I just, I spent a lot of time at the end of every year thinking about it. And so 2019 was also Frank and Eileen's 10-year anniversary. So not only are we starting a new decade in the world, but we're starting a new decade for Frank and Eileen. So it was a big year of reflection or at the holidays. And um, it started being really exciting because I was like, you know, there's a significance in 2020. Like for me, it's the year of clarity and really looking at everything with 2020 vision and not allowing anything to be blurry or fuzzy. Um, And so we're really looking at taking Everything I learned for the 10 years with Frank and Eileen, we applied it to Grayson. And then we had such a successful first year with Grayson. I'm taking everything we learned from Grayson and applying it to Frank and Eileen. And I think just like the next decade is, you know, the first one was, you know, much more traditional with building through wholesale and then eventually going digital. And now we're in this digital social and you launch digital first. And so I think it's just like really looking at the world we're living in now. And it's just going to be a really different journey for the next 10 years. So um, we have a great opportunity to to connect on a much deeper level with with other women and the women in our community to really take the brand in like a more intimate personal level than ever before when we were traditionally wholesale. I love thinking about 2020 as 2020 vision. Like you can see everything. very. I I love that. Audrey, where can everyone find you on social media as well as both brands? So Frank and Eileen is at Frank and Eileen, all spelled out with an A-N-D. Grayson is super easy. It's at Grayson. And then my personal is at my first and last name spelled out, Audrey McLaughlin. Um, All spelled out. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time 
time to be with us. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. For those who are listening and want to find out more, we will link it in the bio below this episode. And I had that opportunity and have over the past months to wear many Grayson pieces they gave me. Um, and I love the concept of that staple shirt. And I think it's great for an internship, for your first job, yeah. um, even just for running around or if you're a mom. It's so versatile. Oh, yeah. So I applaud you for creating you. something that is also affordable and, and hits such a um, wide market. So make sure you guys follow the podcast on social media, which is at T-I-L-U podcast. And we also have an app that's been out for quite a while now. So if you go to the app store and you type in, this is Life Unfiltered, you can download the app and be notified every time there is a new episode. Head to the website, lifeunfilteredalexa.com to listen to every single past episode directly or on Spotify, SoundCloud, um, and Stitcher, and iTunes. And I'll see you guys next week for a new episode of This is Life Unfiltered. Bye!